I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, nutritionist, and a member of the Presidential Task Force on Obesity, Robert Ferguson. Um, We're going to be talking about African Americans and COVID-19. An alarming reality is beginning to emerge from data collected by the CDC as COVID-19 infiltrates communities across America. African Americans are becoming infected and dying from COVID-19 at rates that shadow those of the rest of the population. A Washington Post analysis of data shows a rate of infection among African Americans in counties that are majority black that is three times higher than in counties that are majority white and a death rate that is six times higher. Robert Ferguson discusses what the African American community can do to improve their health now and in the long run. For more than 20 years, he's helped thousands lose weight and improve overall health with the diet-free life methodology. He works closely with Fortune 500 companies as well as celebrities, including Tony Braxton and Ricky Lake. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Robert. Well, it's good to be here, and uh, thank you. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if you listened or heard any of the, my first guests, but it really segues into what we're going to be talking about, health, nutrition, obesity, all of these underlying uh I guess what we call the comorbidity problems that people have and make them more susceptible, obviously, to COVID nineteen. So, uh, let's talk. I want to talk specifically, obviously, about what are these circumstances that are contributing to the rates, the very alarming rates that I just read about African Americans and COVID nineteen. I mean, let's uh, let's be specific. Well, I I believe. Um, and what what we've discovered and what continues to be shared by some of the leading organizations is that it's a respiratory disease and that the underlying conditions, um, as they look at all of the data that's coming in, where people are less likely to survive through uh, COVID-19 are those with like type 2 diabetes, people with a history of asthma, uh, hypertension, anything that's also like touching on inflammation, um, and they still don't have all of the answers, but we do know that you're way more susceptible to to not having a good experience um, or facing you know mortality if you have some of these conditions. And the other thing that we know is that all of them are tied; these conditions are tied to excess body fat. And you know, even with vitamin D, I mean, if you have excess body fat, your body's not able to like the the bioavailability of vitamin D is not able to do its job because it's blocked by the excess body fat. So one of the bigger problems, I believe, is excess body fat that was pre-existing for so many people prior to COVID-19. Well, pre-existing for most of Americans, that's what we were just talking about at the end of the last show. Uh, yes, absolutely. So uh, that's always an issue. I mean, but we, but okay, it's not just African Americans though who have uh, weight problems or obesity problems. We as a culture, I think, do, don't we? I mean, and I keep using the statistics: three quarters of us are uh, have uh, are obese or overweight. I mean, I is that the well, right you know, stat? Like I'll, I'll give here. Here's an example. Um, I live in Ventura County, California. And in Ventura County, California, of all the counties 
in the state of California, we have the highest incidence of breast cancer for women. But at the same time, we also have the highest incidence of people surviving breast cancer. So that tells me, okay, if you look at the county, over 70% of the county, the population is Caucasian, educated, uh, making, you know, decent living for a family. Um, and it's the education that has these people who are really quick to catch it at stage one. Whereas if you go into other areas, they may not have the same percentage of women that are um, getting breast cancer, but they have a higher incidence of people not surviving breast cancer because lack of education, lack of resources, lack of a commitment to comply and want to go and do screenings on a regular basis. And that's where the problem is. So with all of this is education, because when you go into these, you know, black and brown communities where we have these high cases of people attracting COVID-19 and and not surviving COVID-19, well, resources aren't there, lack of education. And when we look at disparities from health disparities, we get it, but no one's really looking at health inequities, which is another one of the problems, right? And an example of that would be, you have a disparity that could be, uh, that is unjust, that could be prevented. So when they said, hey, we're going to start testing people for COVID-19 and we're going to do drive-ups, well, that sounds great when you have a car. But the inequity is, what about the people that don't have a car that they could drive up in and get the testing? That makes sense? That absolutely does make sense. Um, I, I think in uh, New York State, which is where I am, uh, Governor Cuomo has um, institute or there's a program where now people in their communities can go to their churches. Churches have decided or have have offered to do testing in the church so that people in their communities, the kinds of communities you're talking about, will be able to, yeah, they don't have a car, they can't drive, or they're not going to take the subway or, or public transportation, but they can just stay in their communities and, 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 and just walk to their, to their church and get tested, which I think is a very, which kind of addresses at least some of the problem or a little bit of the problem, at least in, in our communities here right. in, in New York State. And yeah. And it does, but then think about when was that brought up? Was that part of the initial deployment? No, it's after sight. And it's that type of thinking from the top that has us in a situation where not everyone's given equal opportunities to thrive with their overall health because that came after, right? That should have been something that was said up front. Hey, in the beginning, you guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have the churches make it available for people who don't have a car. And if you have a car, you can stay in your car. You know what I mean? They came out saying, hey, we're going to do the car thing. And no one talked about that until you had a whole bunch of people who saw the inequities there. And they brought it to their attention. And eventually, it got to the ear of the governor. And then they said, hey, we need to do something for those people, too. But that was, what, four weeks, six weeks after they came up with the idea of, you know, drive up. So I think it's just one of those things where we just got to change our mindset. I don't think we need to babysit everyone, but we can put people in a position to win, uh, and not just with COVID-19, but moving forward. Uh, it's time to get America, the world, healthier, more healthy than ever. And it's not just about what you look like, which is still going to be the number one reason why people want to make the changes. It's got to be about what type of quality of life do you want. Um, and as a former Marine, 
you know, people, you know, they, when they ask me questions about the Marine Corps, I go, you know, when you go in the Marine Corps, you spend the majority of your time exercising and being educated. Well, I have and a you picture have of you girls. in front of me, and you sure look, <laughs> you look like you are in shape, I must say. Uh, <laughs> if everybody looked like you, we'd be in much better shape. Absolutely. No, I, I think well, that's least, true. At least we'd be strong, we'll be in a stronger position to, to fight it. But, hey, there's people who work out and take care of themselves that have fallen prey to this disease. So being fit isn't 100% guaranteed that you're going to be okay. It definitely, anytime you're stronger physically, it helps you mentally, it helps you emotionally, you deal with stress better. Um, it helps with a lot of things and not just looking good in a swimsuit. Yeah. And I think that's well said. I mean, and that involves just the, it's actually not simple necessarily, but really eating well. Uh, Americans just before the COVID-19 uh, we, we don't, as a group of people, we, we don't eat well, we eat on the run, we eat fast foods, even if good foods are available to us, we don't do it. Um, I do it, but as a country, I, I don't, we don't do it. And uh, processed food, and, you know, we've been talking about that for a long time, but maybe now what you're saying, okay, hey, we've, now we have to take, we have to do something about it. I mean, we have, we've been talking about it, but now we have to implement new ways of eating, you know, uh, taking care of ourselves, being healthy, all of those kinds of things, and work on, and also the health disparities. Uh, When you're talking about the health disparities, I'm kind of changing the subject, but we're talking about not having access to health care, not having health insurance. I mean, um, I I think this is a wake-up call for that, isn't it? No, well, put it this way. If something were to happen to anyone, even a homeless person, uh, they got a cut in the arm, their ear is torn off, there's no hospital that's going to turn them away. I mean, you hear stories, but I find that to be, uh, I have a hard time believing that would happen. Um, so our health care isn't as broken as people say it is. I'm not saying it's perfect, but, you know, I've traveled the world and seen the way it could be. And I'm very thankful for the way things are, are set up uh, and designed here in America. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's great, and it's only getting better. Um, I believe that education is really the gateway to either making things better or the lack of sharing the uh, education is going to make things worse. Um, you can't when have you say education, do you mean t- educating people? And, and I agree with you. I mean, we have the best doctors, the best hospitals, and I, too, have, like you say, been all over the world and been in places I'd never want to ever get, even cut my finger. I don't want to go to the hospital, right? But uh, it's educating people that they do have access to health care or to be able to take advantage of it or specifically, you know, because the health care is there. How does that work, you know? Specifically, okay, what so, we talk? Yeah. So I'll give you an example of, of what I'm referencing. If I say peanut butter, um, when you think of peanut butter, do you think of it as a protein or as a fat or as a carb? What, like what comes to mind? What comes to mind when I think of peanut butter? I, I think of peanut butter just generally. Peanut butter is good for you, but if I'm going to have peanut butter, I, I I'm one of those people who. Uh, measure my food. I'm not going to eat a half a jar of peanut butter. I am going to have 
you know, an eighth of a cup of peanut butter and put it on a slice of right. bread. Yeah. Okay. But, but when you think of like peanut butter, do you think of it as a protein source, carbohydrate source, fat source? Well, peanuts are, it's fat, isn't it? But it's good fat. Yeah, well, okay, so most people in the government... <laughs> You're the teachers, nutritionist, you have to tell me. Yeah, go ahead. Right, well, well, most people, when you ask that question, they will uh, look at peanut butter as a protein. The government references peanut butter as a protein source, uh, but when you look at it from a nutritional standpoint, it's five times higher in fat calories than it is protein. And my mom taught me as a kid that if it looks like a duck and sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. So I bring that up is because there's so much disconnect between what things are and what we perceive them to be. So some people will look at McDonald's as something that's demonized and other people will look at it for the delicious french fries. So here we have McDonald's that serves food that the FDA says, hey, that food is is good for human consumption. But then you have a whole bunch of people that are saying, oh, no, McDonald's food is horrible. If you eat that, you're going to die. Well, McDonald's also sells more apples than any restaurant uh, on the planet. And when you buy a salad there, they only offer you organic Newman's own salad dressing. But the people who are demonizing McDonald's have no idea that that's the case because they don't go in McDonald's. You see see what I mean? It's like there's so much much confusion around nutrition and what's healthy and what's not. There's a lot of misinformation, yes, is what you're saying, misinformation. But then also when people begin to eat these deep high, you know, food that have high amounts of sugar uh, and salt content, there's an addictive quality to that too, isn't there? I I would battle with most of the people who would say that because this is like this is what I know to be true is that you can eat McDonald's, you can eat Burger King, you can eat Olive Garden, you can eat fine dining. You just need to learn how to eat foods in what I consider the right combinations or proportions, kind of like what you said earlier. You're mindful of how much peanut butter you consume. Well, I don't know how you got to the place where you're mindful, but a lot of people aren't mindful. Many people live in what we refer to as food insecurities, meaning when they eat, they don't know where they're going to eat again. So, yes, they're going to eat the whole tub of peanut butter, whereas you may be in a situation in your life where you know that if I eat now, then in two or three hours, if I want to have a snack or eat you know, my next meal, I can because financially I know I'm in a position where I, I can't eat. But when you don't know when you're going to eat again, it's kind, of, it's kind of tough to be mindful and to stop at a tablespoon, if that makes sense. Um, that does make sense, so, but I'm going to, I have to also say that, uh, you know, I'm not traveling now, but when I did, I traveled a lot and I would always, I am mindful of what I eat. I know that if I eat over 14, I'm small, I'm petite. If I eat over 13, 1400 calories a day, I will gain weight. I can just get on the scale and I know I will gain weight. So I'm very mindful in terms of quantity and in terms of calories and all of those things. But I will, and just to your point, I, in traveling, I, you know, I've been in bus stations and airports and train stations, and I look at people, people who have the monies to travel uh, in, in any one of these places, and they're sitting there, and I'm watching them eat, 
and they are literally, quote, stuffing their faces. I mean, and they don't, they, I'm assuming they know they're going to get their next meal uh, that because of where they are. And, and so how do you address, and, and I also assume that perhaps they have a certain level of education. So where does this all come from? Do you know, that's a whole other group of people. Oh, yeah. Are not, and, and, and that yeah. group. And I, and I meet those people all the time, right? They're a judge, they're a lawyer, they're a doctor, they've been valedictorian. Everything in their life they do extremely well, except for when it comes to their weight. And then they go, well, Robert, is too like nothing. And again, it's the uninformed, which I put those people in, being guided or influenced by the misinformed. There's so much misinformation that, you know, people are just thrown off. So, so I'm going to give you an example. Okay. I went and I had a, a group of women who uh, we did a, a, a test with. I was doing work with Aetna Insurance, and we took 24 type 2 diabetics. And when these 24 uh, type 2 diabetics, we put them in uh, three categories, green, uh, yellow, and red. Red meant that their blood sugar was all over the place. Uh, they, they didn't have it under control. Yellow was they had it under control a little bit here and there, and green was everything was good. Well, there was one person in the green in the beginning of this little trial. We had uh, 20 uh, in the yellow, and we had three in the, in the red. Okay? So I was 24. I had put them on a plan of eating that was structured, and they were all over the country. They all were on some type of medication. At the end of seven days, the average weight loss was four pounds. Everyone reported back that they felt great. They had the fog was lifted. Everything was good, and all of them were in the green, meaning their blood sugar levels were under control after seven days of following this nutrition plan. And the plan was based on principles. Well, once we were done and we put it in front of the executives, they were like very impressed. And I said, would you like to see where they ate? They said, like, what do you mean see where they ate? Would you like to see the menu I had all of them follow because they're all over the country? They go, yes. So then I had it all set up, passed it around, and all of their meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, were eaten at McDonald's. And the point that I was making was that McDonald's is not the problem. It's learning how to eat foods in the proper combinations and amounts, no matter where you are. So whether it's the highest quality food or the lowest quality food, let's give people some type of way to um, be mindful and to structure their food. Give them some structure, not so much a diet. And the room was quiet because Again, the perception is McDonald's is bad, but in reality, is it really bad? You know, it's like Dr. Hobb in 2011 did a single-person trial where he ate a Twinkie every three hours, and at the end of 10 weeks, he lost 27 pounds, his triglycerides improved, his blood sugar improved, his cholesterol improved, body fat percentage improved, BMI improved. All these things improved, and people were upset with him because... He ate a Twinkie every three hours, and they go, that's, that's, that's not good. You shouldn't be teaching that. And that wasn't his point. His point was, if I eat one Twinkie, I'm not going to, like, be overweight tomorrow. But if I'm eating a box of Twinkies, then we're going to have a problem. So, again, like, it's like meet people where they are and teach them how to make the most of whatever their situation is. And that's what, when I talk about education, that's what I'm referring to. I'm talking about a philosophy that is non-judgmental. It shows people how to make the best of their situation, um, and then they can improve. And then everyone feels good about what they're doing. 
And, if and so is the next step to that, because we only have four minutes left, um, is if, if they're able to do that and we're able to be able to help people to implement these kinds of eating habits, that they will be better prepared for uh, what, what COVID-19 or any other Absolutely. virus. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and some of the things that I, things I would share with those people, because uh, 70% of our immune system is, is uh, framed around our intestines, right? Our gut bacteria. And so during this time, if you want to optimize your immune system, you don't want to disrupt your gut bacteria. And so some of the things that can create some, uh, some negatives would be deep fried food during this moment of time. So at this moment of time, I would say don't eat anything that's harder on your digestive system uh, to include drinking uh, excess of alcohol, which we know that alcohol consumption is up, you know, big time. So be mindful of the alcohol intake, avoid deep fried food, uh, be active as much as you possibly can because being active, exercise helps with gut bacteria, which means helps with your immune system. Uh, drink plenty of water, uh, and your water consumption would include coffee, tea, uh, unsweetened tea. Those are the things that are going to help a person like optimize their immune system, which means optimizing their overall health. Good advice, and I, I want to also, I, this title, you have the title, the you co-founded the Show Me Better Health Initiative with Aetna, and you are yeah. also, yeah, uh, you are Stay Healthy's health ambassador and America's fat lots coach. <laughs> I like that title. That's it. That's it. That's very <laughs> cool. <laughs> Well, I've agreed. I mean, I think that's important, and I and I've always felt that this is, you know, the kinds of things that you're talking about in in terms of educating people before all this happened, before COVID nineteen. But okay, two minutes left. Give us websites we can go to to find out or to have more information about you and what you're doing. Um, and, uh, diet yeah. free life. So just all one word: dietfreelife.com. Um, that's the method that we've done the work with as far as Aetna and our company is Stay Healthy. And we're doing as much as we possibly can to, to make a difference in the, the lives of so many families. And the foundation of everything that we do is education. Education, education, education. And I, yeah, and I, assume, I, yeah, uh, and I assume now you have a lot of opportunity to do that, obviously, online. Um, uh, your yeah, fortunately, yeah. you know, uh, you know, technology has some pros to it, and uh, of course, technology has some cons. It's just a matter of uh, being able to manage all of it, right? Right, exactly. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today, Robert Ferguson, author, nutritionist, and a member of the Presidential Task Force on Obesity. Um, have a good day. Stay healthy and thin, I guess, and sane. And you too. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, great. Thanks, Robert. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 